You know, since the very beginning, man has sought after God. Uh, If you believe, as I do, that God created man to walk with him, uh, to have communion with him, uh, the search for God is a natural response to our creation. You've probably heard the quote that uh, man has a God-shaped hole in his heart that needs to be that needs to be filled and will be filled by something or another. That quote originated, you know, that, that's, it's not new at all. That quote is 400 years old. It originated with Blaise Pascal in the mid-1600s. Pascal was a mathematician. He was a physicist. Uh, he was an inventor. And he was a Christian philosopher. Uh, Being a physicist, however, he did not say that man had a God-shaped hole in his heart. He was a little bit more precise than that. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum. Okay, this is the the words of a scientist and inventor. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. I think that that is a little bit better of a quote than there is a God-shaped hole in our heart. And it's much more befitting of a philosopher of his stature. Man has been trying to fill that vacuum since the fall from the Garden of Eden. And he's tried to fill it with everything under the sun, with power, maybe that will do it, with wealth. What do they say? Money can't buy you love. No. With wealth, uh, entertainment, leisure, but to no avail. The vacuum inside of us remains. Those who have been called to adoption in God's family through belief in Jesus Christ, as Pascal noted, have that vacuum filled. Those who aren't called by Christ inevitably throughout history invent their own gods, things made of human hands, um, thought up by human minds, Try as they might, nothing of man can fill the loss of knowing God. Uh, Not that man didn't try. Um, uh, Hinduism began, according to the sources I see, is the oldest current religion. Uh, It is not the first religion, but it's the oldest. About 4,000 years ago it began. Hinduism has invented many divine beings, including Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, and there's a whole bunch more. Uh, uh, Then there's Buddhism, uh, which has also had a wide array of divine beings in its practice. In the beginning, most of their divine beings were of Indian origin. Then as it spread um, to other Asian locales, they brought in other spirits, and local gods, which they incorporated into their religion. Islam arose out of Arab tribal worship. I mean, before 
uh, Islam was there. The Arabs had as many as 360 tribal gods. Now, Allah simply means the god. It's al Ilya, something along that line. It simply means the god. And if you go to Arabic Christian Bibles, the word for God in there is Allah. And uh, it might shake you a little bit, but that's all it means is God. The tribal god, Al-Ilya, was the highest god of the tribal gods. Uh, this god was represented by the silhouette of the crescent moon. And while there seems to be revisionist history going on uh, right now about the beginnings of Islam, that, uh, that Allah is not the moon god, uh, that's not where they got it from, the representation of the crescent moon is found on every minaret, on every mosque the world over. That is the symbol of Islam, the crescent moon. And I, I'm here to say if it's not taken from the tribal god of uh, Muhammad, uh, uh, the moon god, they could have come up with a better symbol. So I'm just throwing that out. There's, I'm not preaching on foreign religions today. I'm just pointing out that man has always wanted to fill their, his life with God, even if they're of his own design. The Apostle Paul, having grown up around Gentiles in Tarsus, was no stranger to the worship of pagan gods. He knew it quite well, and that's one of the reasons that he was so focused on bringing the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ to the pagan nations. Indeed, in his gospel outreach to the Gentile nations, he always found himself introducing those nations to Jesus Christ by refuting the worship of man-made gods. But none of this prepared for him what he found when he arrived in Athens. Last week in Acts, after the Apostle Paul and Silas had been effectively driven out of Thessalonica, they escaped to Berea. Immediately upon arrival, Paul did as, he, as was his custom. He found the Je Jewish synagogue and began teaching. As we saw, these Berean Jews were not put off by his teaching of a crucified and risen Savior, but instead searched out those passages for themselves and came to a saving faith in their thus revealed Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And just uh, briefly read where we are, uh, where we were last week uh, from Acts 17, 13 through 15. It says, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Today's sermon is from the next six verses, Acts 17, 16 through 21. And they read 
as such. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked, provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Now, we are not told in Scripture why Silas and Timothy remained in Berea, when Paul was spirited away to Athens. It does not tell us this. Um, it might have been that the Bereans saw a real need to get Paul away quickly, and so they moved fast and light. Um, perhaps there was, a sea had to be crossed. It is perhaps that there wasn't passage for more than that on the, on the boat. Um, but arriving in Athens, Paul sent back word with his escorts to send Silas and Timothy to join him. But that was not going to happen because Paul and I mean, Silas and Timothy were no longer in Berea. Uh, it is believed that Timothy had been sent back to Thessalonica with Paul's first letter to them. <laughs> So, get this, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians we know as 2 Thessalonians. Just letting you know. And, and uh, his second letter is 1 Thessalonians. Why the order? I don't know. So, Timothy's on his way back with a letter to the Thessalonians. Silas, with Timothy on his way to Thessalonia, went to another city in Macedonia, and though we do not know as clearly as we do with uh, Timothy, uh, it's suspected that he went back to Philippi. These are the cities that they had just covered in Greece, Philippi and Macedonia and um, Thessalonica. So Silas is gone to Philippi, Timothy is in Thessalonia, and Paul is left alone in Athens. He's left by himself. And Timothy and Silas will not catch up to him until they all meet up in the city of Corinth a little bit later. Now, Athens was not on the Apostle Paul's missionary itinerary. He ended up there by accident uh, Athens, for 400 years, had been the leading city of Greece, uh, if not the leading city of the world. It was the leader in wealth in Greece. It was the leader in culture. Uh, it was the center of philosophy, the center of cultural societal influence. Uh, it was the home to 
Plato and Socrates, the adopted home of Aristotle and uh, Epicurus and Zeno, and we'll see both of those figures uh, represented in just a few minutes. So revered by Rome. Rome, the Roman Empire were Greekophiles, okay? They adored Greek culture, Greek religion. Remember, of course, that all the Greek gods had their counterparts in Roman gods. Uh, Rome basically just covered them. But uh, so revered by Rome was Athens that when the Roman Empire conquered Athens, because Rome, that's what the Romans do, they just sort of conquer everybody, they conquered them about in the mid-100s BC, 169, I think, but I didn't write it down. Um, when they conquered Athens in the 2nd century BC, the victors left it as a free city. They did not interfere with life in Rome. But by the time Paul arrived, Athens was down to a population of about 10,000 citizens. Its wealth had been far eclipsed by Corinth, as was Corinth now the center um, of the influence on social life. And we've seen that before in the study of 1 Corinthians that we've done before that it was the leading city in depravity and wealth and everything else. But Athens was still the center of learning. The leading university in the world was still located in Athens. It was the center of philosophy. It's where all the philosophers basically hung out in Greece. And the city that Paul arrived in um, was largely the one that remains for us today in ruins, filled with, as F.F. F. Bruce says, the workmanship of the great architects and sculptors of the age, uh, temples, buildings, such as the Parthenon and the Acropolis, Acropolis and the Temple of Athena, for whom Athens is named, you know, Athens, Athena. Anyway, and many other of these buildings that we know as ruins in Athens were sort of newish at the time of Paul. They were being used. They were only a couple hundred years old then, not 2,000. So, so the Athens that Paul arrived in is this gleaming city with these gorgeous buildings. And Acts 17, 16 says... Now, Paul, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, as I pointed out, Paul was used to pagan idol worship, but Athens was something different. Athens prided itself on worshiping every god in the world. Okay, that was their goal in life was to worship every god in the world. As such, the streets were lined with the statues of pagan gods. And the city was filled with temples dedicated to, I said Athena already, but Apollo, Themis, Euteria, Hecate, Hermes, and Zeus, among the popular gods. And there were temples to the lesser gods as well. 
The sheer number of pagan idols, verse 17 says, provoked his spirit within him. The city was filled with demons. Demonic activity and demon worship. In a letter uh, to a church located in another such demonic city, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, to the Corinthians, in 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 20, what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. No matter how many temples and statues of God could be found in Athens, the only worship there was to demons. Although Paul had not planned to preach in Athens, and though he was alone, he didn't have a missionary team, and that's one of the interesting things. You know, I talked about the the murder of the uh, six uh, missionaries to the Okas. You know, missionaries are composed of teams, and you know, I, until you start thinking about it, Paul had a team. You know, he had people with him to make his preaching easier. He had uh, Timothy and Silas to help him with that preaching, but others traveled with them that made the time easy. That's why finding somebody um, uh, such as uh, Lydia to house the whole group and to feed them was an important thing because there's a whole missionary team involved. But in Athens, Paul is alone. Though he was alone, Paul was not one who could sit by in so obviously a mission field as he awaited his team to join him. Verse 17 says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Once again, Paul reverts to his system of going to the local synagogue, meeting with the Jews, because he'll get a hearing from them as a rabbi. There would also be, they're called devout persons here, the word used, uh, Instead of God-fearer, uh, it, they translate it as devout. The word used means pious. So, you know, that fits. So he meets with them on the Sabbath and the rest of the week. And it doesn't tell us if he does it six days a week. Uh, Paul is a type A personality. I wouldn't be surprised about it. But the rest of the week, he goes into the marketplace to, in, uh, to anyone who would engage with him. So verse 18 continues saying, Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was pre preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, there were three major philosophies in Greece at this time. They tell us here about the Epicurean and uh, Stoic philosophers. The last one was the school of the cynics. I'm going to tell you about the Stoics and the uh, Epicurean philosophers because they show up here. I'm not going to tell you about the cynics. I didn't even look them up. I suspect they were cynical, but that's just me. Okay, The Epicureans and Stoic schools of philosophy were the two most popular philosophies of Greece 
and they were at opposite ends of the philosophical spectrum. If you could get two philosophies more unalike, that would be the Epicurean and Stoic philosophies. The Epicurean school was founded by Epicurus, and I mentioned him earlier uh, as one of the leading adopted sons of Athens, uh, started around 300 BC. In fact, both the Epicureans and the Stoics started around 300 BC. F.F. Bruce says uh, that um, the Epicurean philosophy presented pleasure as the ultimate goal in life. The chief end of life, they thought, was to be free of pain, okay? To live as tranquilly as possible with no disturbing passions and superstitious fears, uh, especially the fear of death. They did not deny the existence of the gods. They did, however, think that the gods took no interest in the day-to-day -day life of men, so they were of no account. They were not to be feared because they didn't care about men. Now, Stoicism. Now, we hear a lot about Stoic people. You know, and thinking about it, I thought, going into this, well, you know, it's called Stoicism because the people were all Stoic. Right? Wrong! <laughs> Stoic people got their name from the philosophy and not the other way around. A Stoa, well... Stoics also started around 300 uh, by Zeno, the other person I mentioned earlier. Um, and they derived their name from the painted stoa in Athens. The stoa is a portico. And Zeno had one particular pavilion, a painted pavilion that he liked to teach in underneath, whichever. Called, and those are called stoas. And because they always met in the stoa, they are stoic. I just thought you needed that for your information. Stoicism believed that truly free people had equal citizen rights. They really believed in the philosophy that all men are created equal. They thought of their gods as the soul of the world. It, that instead of not, instead of just leaving men alone, that they were the soul, the influence of the world. Stoicism at its best was marked by moral earnestness and a high sense of duty. Now, we can recognize that when we talk about somebody being stoic. You know, they're earnest in their, in their actions, and they are, they have a high sense of duty. Now, these two schools of philosophers would mingle in the marketplace. Hearing Paul, Scripture says they conversed with him. Uh, this word can also be translated debated argued, but generally in a debate type of sense, it can also mean 
Some of the philosophers asked, and consider the word, what does this babbler wish to say? The word babbler actually means seed picker here. And you might think, what is a seed picker? Well, think of a crow or a chicken looking for seeds in the dirt, you know, scavenging what they can find in the dirt. That's what the word became, a synonym for a scavenger. It came to be used of those who scavenged discarded goods in the marketplace. The hangers on at the marketplace who would look for something to be thrown away, they, people do the same thing nowadays, but waiting for them to be uh, thrown away, so it was used of the hangers on in the marketplace. But then, because this is a philosophical society after all, it became to be known um, for those type of persons who pick up bits of information that they don't really understand and then pass it along, okay? So, what they are saying about Paul here is that Paul has certain information that he picked up that doesn't make any sense and that he's now passing along to people in the marketplace. That is why they call him a babbler here. And actually, that does fit, even though seed picker is so much more poetic. So this is how they thought of Paul, as someone thinking as if he had knowledge of religious ideas that no one could really understand. He was a babbler indeed to them. And all this babbling, they say, is about foreign deities. The commenter uh, Daryl Bach says, the gist of their statement of contempt for Paul is, what would this babbler say if he could say anything that made sense? Because what Paul is saying about these foreign deities makes absolutely no sense to them. Remember what their gods were. Zeus, Apollo, Athena, mighty gods. Man taking the most heroic of men's traits and transferring them to a god. It was not what Paul was talking about at all. Verses 19 through 20 say, And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, Paul is used to having people come and take him away from where he was to somewhere else, right? All through his ministry this happens and he is taken before the authorities. But here it does not appear that he was arrested. Though it follows the form and where he's taken would be where you are taken if you're arrested. He's taken to the Areopagus. Uh, the Areopagus was a rocky outcropping just northwest of uh, uh, the downtown area of Athens. Areopagus was named for the Greek god of war, Ares. And Areopagus literally means, because it's a rocky hillside, Ares stone. It's 
was identified with Ares. In ancient Athens, now, a group of leading citizens and thinkers of the city would meet there to hear and discuss spiritual or philosophical matters in much the way, the same way that the Jewish Sanhedrin did in these people, because of where they met, were called the Areopagus. In Paul's day, however, the Areopagus referred solely to this council. The rocky peak, the rocky area had received a new designation, and you will know this designation. It was called Mars Hill. Ares is Mars. Uh, in, in the Latin, in the Roman lexicon of gods. So Paul has now come to Mars Hill and he's meeting before the Greek equivalent of the Sanhedrin that are called the Areopagus. They ask him, what do your strange teachings about a god who is mur- what is it what is this about a God who is murdered and brought back to life mean? What does this mean? Where does your God fit into our pantheon of gods? Do you also worship our gods? So they're questioning him. And verse 21 ends our passage for today. And it seems to end in an unlikely place, but every... Every section that I've looked at in every Bible ends it here. And it says, verse 21, Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Now, this is really what? the Come on, philosophers today like this. They like hearing something new. Uh, all of our society, the new thing is the good thing. Even today, the world wants to hear something new. What what has come before is derided as old-fashioned. As uh, just yesterday, I was reading something, you know, conservative philosophy is standing in the way of progressive ideas. It's holding us back. Well, perhaps you do not understand the meaning of conservative or of progressive, because really, that that is what happens. That's what conservative means. Conserving what's best of what came before in a melding of old and new, which constantly goes on. Christianity is thus... Conservative by definition. Okay, we're not going, hey, guys, the hot new thing is the new paganism. Okay, witchcraft. Now, I want you to consider the irony in this. Witchcraft and paganism are the hot new thing. Well, hold it. No, they're old things. They're not new. They're just repackaged. Christianity is conservative. Retaining God's plan for mankind as we live in an increasingly technological world, but also in an increasingly neo-pagan, that's the word, neo-pagan world. The Athenians and foreigners in Athens wanted to hear something new. Paul was going to tell them something they'd never heard before. 
but something that was as old as all creation. It was nothing new. It was reintroducing people who would believe in anything as a god to the only true god. Now, mankind had never forgotten about God. Just, just as there are flood myths around the world of eight people in a canoe in uh, aboriginal tribes, of representations of eight people in a boat in China, it's everywhere. Man has not forgotten the past. They've forgotten the meaning of the past. Just as they have forgotten who God is and therefore create their own gods to replace him. For thousands of years, man tried filling up the vacuum, the God-shaped vacuum in their heart. Actually, in this case, I, I like hole in the heart better. The vacuum shape, the God-shaped hole in their heart with their own gods of their own making or with things or possessions or power or anything they could think of to take their minds off the true God that they had lost because of the sin of man's fall. Now, they're in luck. Paul is not going to leave them just with the God they've forgotten about the oldest story in the world. He is then going to go on and present the God that was killed, which, of course, to Greek ears, to Roman ears, is fantastical. That cannot happen. That's no God at all to them. And yet, Paul has brought them the old God that they've forgotten. And he's going to bring him, them, the Son of God that they had never heard of. And the world would never be the same. Let's close in prayer.